1: I'm Ian Rickson, I'm a theatre director, and welcome to my podcast, What I Love. In all the time I've worked in the theatre, I've been lucky to meet some extraordinary artists. In this series, I speak with some of them in the silence of an empty theatre stage and ask them about three things that they love, a song, a film, and a piece of writing. I'm looking to discover why we especially cherish certain things and how we reveal ourselves through the things we love. There was no questioning the huge talent of Jessie Buckley back in 2008 when she was runner-up in the BBC's musical talent show, I'd Do Anything. But few could have predicted where this young Irish performer's career would take her thereafter, moving effortlessly from the West End to dramatic roles in TV shows such as War and Peace and Chernobyl, as well as her BAFTA-winning lead role in the British film Wild Rose. Jessie's most recent roles confirm the breadth of her acting choices, having recently joined the long-running series Fargo and being cast by Charlie Kaufman as the lead in I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Jessie was due to appear as Juliet in the National Theatre's production of Romeo and Juliet earlier this year. But in October, she and I met on a different stage, her local, The Hackney Empire.
0: Yeah. It's hard to know why you picked them, though. I don't know what I'm going to talk like. I just like them. <laughs>
1: well, that's good enough. <laughs> are, we, are we all right? Yep. Yeah.
0: God, can we do play sometime? Can this world open up again soon? Sad. Yeah, I mean,
1: I'm on stage with Jesse Buckley at the Hackney Empire and Jesse's a Hackney resident. And if Hackney was a body, Hackney Empire is the heart and it's like yeah. a heart transplant in this area. It has so many fantastic... Initiatives and yeah. schemes, and you go from Rafe Fines doing Hamlet to the local gospel group yeah, and stand yeah. up, and it lies in front of us on a cold October afternoon, empty, and that's so poignant. And I guess for my own therapy, really, Jesse, at this time when I've been shorn from live work, I am feeding on what other people love and this podcast the premise is someone might say well you are what you do or you are what you think but actually for me you are what you love and the intimacy of somebody generously bringing in three things Mm. and allowing those three things to make a bit of a story I love it
0: Mm. that's lovely that's a lovely way to live right now yeah. Like that,
1: how's it been for you? Because I know you've been filming in Greece and in Chicago, maybe.
0: Yeah, um, some of it I've loved. Some days you wake up and it hits you sideways and you're like crying.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> I liked stopping as hard as it is. I think it's very grounding to experience something so universally communal, yeah, and it's awakened me I guess to something that probably had just become too easy Mm. the habit of life had become too easy Mm. and this is chaos and this is hard and this is challenging and there's so much change and every day it's a new thing and it's a new rule and it's a new feeling and and it's intense but I think because we're all experiencing it it kind of There is a sense of community, which I haven't, I don't know, I feel more emotionally communal with people. Mm.
1: I'm
0: probably just crying all the time, Mm. basically. Yeah, it's been intense. Mm. And I have hope, because I think it's up to us to create the world that we want to step out into and use our imagination about what might be possible on the other side of this cement house. And, yeah, um, yeah I have hope.
1: Mm. I want to come back to that image, that idea of a place that's rigid and bound, like the city of stone in your film, and what's beyond that, and how you get out of a cement house. Mm. And then the other phrase you just used was a sense of community, and I thought all three of your choices are about fusion, connection, attachment, and community. Your choices were so imaginative and exciting to inhabit. And the one I want to look at first is this piece of music that I don't know what internet rabbit holes you go down, but it's a bunch of people (laughs) in a canteen in Georgia singing this folk song, Siskri Alilo, by the Georgian choral group Bastiani Ensemble. How did you come across this?
0: I think I found it on Facebook. And I've listened to it nearly every single day for about seven months. And what I think is so incredible is how beautifully sensitive, fragile and holding those men are. Those are the leaders that we need in our world. Also, like it reminded me, I was thinking this morning, it's like growing up in Ireland, singing like that around a table after Christmas or before Christmas, it was a sharing, you know. It wasn't something that was to be held or gratuitous. It was totally a healing, sharing thing. And those men <laughs> are just... <laughs> And it also is so fragile, like you just feel like I don't know where they're going. I don't know if they're gonna go off tune. They never do, but it's so slight and delicate and fragile and to see bulky, soulful, bearded men sit around a table of food and of these like pillars of faith around them and people of the community watch them and be so quiet, it literally knocked me sideways. And and I have listen to it every single day because it kind of wakes me up in the
1: morning (laughs) (laughs) Ireland, Georgia, two countries on the edge of Europe, looking away from the central part of Europe to somewhere else. And there's something similar about the culture, I think. And we came across you using song in a competitive way in the talent show, where you had to go on every week and try and sing better than anyone else. But actually at your heart is this need for song... To be part of a communal ritual. And I mean, if there was like a World Cup of singing, Georgians would be like top seeds <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there's a polyphonic thing, the way they do their harmonies, as I understand it from a Wikipedia examination. <laughs> All of their songs are around either mourning, by which I mean grief, mm. festivals, and this one's a Christmas song, mm. I think, work. So it's sort of sewn into the fabric of life as something for everybody. And you found this thing where they're all in some canteen. I mean you can see the same group all dressed up in these uniforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's something about how organic and as you say fragile.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: This sort of on the hoof. And it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. That's why you
0: don't even when it starts playing, you don't know who's singing it. Yeah. And then it turns to this guy who is just yeah.
1: You play this daily. What kind of medicine is it? Why the attachment?
0: I don't know.
1: (laughs) Does it hold you? Does it rouse you? That kind of feeling you've got of we all need to be stood together and connected. Is there something about the choral nature of it?
0: I think it's very human. There's something really human in the moment of this piece where there's somebody on his own and then the song needs community and needs what it feels like to be a human in the world every day is like you wake up and you're on your own and you start walking or you start getting ready and you go out and you need something else you need someone else Mm. to come into your heart Mm. and inspire you to go to another place that you hadn't really recognized yet and like a kind of wave of love actually like a wave of love out of listening and accepting those gifts from the different people that you meet on your journey Mm. throughout your day um feels like a meditation, but I don't have my eyes closed. Mm. Like, I feel like it opens my eyes. And it also opens, yeah, my heart. I feel like I, it lets my heart be fragile mm. in order for it to be accepting of what might come in.
1: Mm. Can you let your heart be fragile? Always in the city, negotiating your way through hackney to... Covent Garden, around all the different rooms you have to be in for your work. It's the pericardium that covers the heart, isn't it? That Mm. gives it kind of a boundary. In fact, Shakespeare does it really well. Claudius says of Hamlet, he has a heart unfortified. Like somehow Claudius sees that Hamlet's heart is too open. It's not been fortified by structure. Mm. but you seem to offer that actually staying in that heart fragile heart open state is where you want to be
0: yeah I think I prefer to risk having my heart open than closed Mm. definitely it's not all the time Mm. (laughs) and I I struggle sometimes in the city I grew up in the countryside you know and I love London and I've been here for nearly like 13 years now but there's such an intensity in it. And for me, it feels like you are required to be an addict in this city. And I find myself consumed and consuming when I'm here. I'm going to move out, actually, back to nature because I don't want that just to be my life mm. anymore. Like, I know I need to find quiet and silence mm. and mm. come back when I need to. Yeah. Um, There's also, like, in this piece of music, like, there's a power grows from the community that it's in. you like, it starts fragile, but by the end, you feel like they're walking on water, you know? There's such a strength from all those bodies together and all those voices clashing off each other. And and also the unknown. Like, there is an unknown in this song where you don't know. Or you think they're going somewhere else, and then they just slide into some kind of much more... (laughs) sexier, dissonant <laughs> sound. Mm.
1: Mm. I mean, it's the lament underneath both countries, Georgia and Ireland, that have been thoroughly colonised, yet there's something about their gathering together and the kind of tonality yeah. that is so primal
0: and yeah. unique. Yeah. I think as well the first time I recognised the power of telling story was from my mom and she's a harpist and a singer, and she would always sing in church, like on Sunday, and she wanted to be an opera singer. She came to London to be an opera singer, but then both her parents passed away, and life took a different course, and she went back to Ireland. But when she used to sing, wherever she sang, there was such, like, a need to heal, actually, not just herself, but she wanted to like pierce the hearts of every single person that was sitting in and i'd see these old men walk up to her crying you know and not not knowing what had happened or what necessarily the story was but it moved them and there's a huge like um music it's it's such a magical dialogue which isn't reliant on words or it's reliant on something else that passes between people, and everybody is affected by it in a way that words do in a different way, but music is magic, like, and it goes deeper, I think, and I, that was probably... Anyway, I don't know what I'm talking about now.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so lovely, <laughs> the piercing the hearts is brilliant. I mean, what is it like... You've been singing with a band pre-lockdown, and what is it like when you feel you hit a moment where you're absolutely inside the song? You're in communion with an audience.
0: It feels like you're the most intimate and the most naked you've been with every single person individually, like from the musicians to a face that you see out in the audience, and it could be just you and them but it's not it's a thousand people or whatever and that's really like special to have those moments and they're rare you're always hoping to find them and you probably might find them one or two times in a gig or whatever but when they're there it's it's like everything is gone <laughs> it's such an intimate feeling
1: everything is gone and you lose ego, and you connect to something bigger.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm understanding about you, I'm getting it, and it's really affirming. (laughs) Affirming. (laughs) Well, about what it really is to be human, and about the integrity of that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we're very lucky that we get to do it. The way we do it.
1: Yeah, we used to.
0: We used to. We still are. Yeah. We're just doing it in different ways now. Yeah.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing... Mint
0: Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20,
1: how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Mm. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm interested to hear you're going to move out of the city. And I was dwelling on the site of the bridge because you're going to tell us about your film in a minute Les Amants du Pont Neuf (laughs) which is a French film sometimes it's called The Lovers on the Bridge and um, I was thinking early life, Killarney now you're sort of in the city of stone the cement house, London (laughs) And I wonder whether you're on a bridge to somewhere else and there's a new chapter coming up. And so it doesn't surprise me you're thinking of relocating. But tell us a bit about Les Amants, Pont Neuf, the film.
0: Well, it's, I've only found it about a year ago through a friend of mine who's a writer and I couldn't believe it <laughs> when I watched it. I couldn't believe it felt so massive. It's about these two homeless people in Paris who um, live on this bridge and it's got this punk abandonment to love. It's like they're in a fever dream trying to find and feel and love and it all takes place on this bridge and it just is extraordinary. It's like Juliette Benoche is in it and Denise Levant. Um, it's a bit like Beauty and the Beast as well, you know, with these two kind of creatures who are living on this bridge. And I just think it's just fucking excellent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a film from 1992, directed by Léos Carax. There's a whole mythology around the film because all these things happened. Denis Lavant broke his foot tying his shoelace and the permit for the bridge, Le Pont Neuf, ran out. They had to build a bridge in God. south of France know. and uh, Binoche was Carax's muse and lover. And so there's all this sort of mythology around the film but then you watch the film and it begins very gritty, mm. docu-style reality cinema and you see these down and outs and addicts rounded up and hosed down and contained in a shelter and you think, okay I'm going to get myself ready for this kind of traumatic uh, reality Mm. and then the film swoops into this kind of hallucinogenic fantasia Mm. where it's got this kind of ecstatic romanticism and I so like respect the director for how boundless he is oh my god and you read these sort of snotty reviews where they say well why is nobody else on the metro in that <laughs> sequence or you think <laughs> that's up. not the point <laughs> yeah it's not the point of a film like this which is cinemara's dream Yeah, yeah and it occurs to me that you like your cultural diet flavorful yeah you want to be affected, impacted, shocked even.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: so a year ago, somebody you know gives you this film and it's sort of overwhelming, isn't it? It's quite assaultive. Yeah. And following this theme of community and connection, you've got your Georgian men and here you've got this kind of waif-like Binoche. She's playing like a daughter of a general, sort of head of garbler, but on the streets. Yeah. Who is attracted to Denis Lavon's kind of alcoholic tramp. Yeah. And their fusion and their clash and the ending when they finally see each other in the Seine. And (laughs) it's so moving, isn't it? And And
0: then they fall in and they get on that boat.
1: They get on the boat, you know, let Paris rot, leave the city.
0: It is epic. It's an epic... I could watch that film every week and it would blow me away again and again.
1: Titillate the listeners by just describing that classic scene, the fireworks, the water skiing, the bridge. Just how you remember it.
0: Oh, it's one of the most, like, ecstasy, like, operatic, punk, rock, love kind of... (laughs) Bodies and people falling off the edge of the cliff moment. It literally takes you and throws you across the stage. Every single moment of that, you almost feel like you're like inside their heart and you can feel it fall and jump up again. And there's like such a need for life or love in that moment and each other. And it feels like Juliette Binoche is escaping something, whereas he's trying to get something, and get her, and run towards her. And they're constantly running, they're constantly moving, they're constantly, they're addicts, you know, they're addicts for the thing that they've, a spiritual thing that they've lost in their lives. And in this moment, it is a firework of Just everything coming out. It's so beautiful. Watch it. Just type in that bit on YouTube and you will end up going immediately to buy it. I sound like I'm trying to sell it, but I mean it.
1: Well, it's good to sell things you love because they're valuable and they tenderise the heart in this instance. Yeah, and
0: that is art. That film is art. It it finds a way to encapsulate something so human and what I love and what I think I look for in, in work that I want to do or what I want to watch or be affected by is I love the fallibilities of humans. All of those characters are so fallible and have fallen and... Yet there's such beauty and, you know, you kind of want to care for every single one of those people that you meet. And when a director like Leo Carax finds the cracks in somebody's humanity and makes it beautiful and makes it affecting that's art, like that is what I want to see. I don't want a veneer. Yeah. I want to be moved and yeah. affected and I want to go to that place where yeah. they go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I really enjoy the research process for a, an encounter, yeah. like this. And I had lunch with someone on Friday. They said, "Ah, I've got a text here from Jesse. I want to dance with Leos Carax <laughs> and make a film with him." So you yeah, know, my dossier is quite big in terms of Jesse Buckley details. <laughs> And I can imagine you on that kind of film set and Leos Karak saying, Well, Jesse, I want you to dance on the parapet and.
0: Absolutely, no problem.
1: Tomorrow you'll do some water skiing.
0: (laughs) Of course, no problem.
1: (laughs) And I think you'd be up for that because the bigger idea of this clashing, fusing narrative of these two outsiders finding meaning in the city. Is so profound.
0: Yeah. And life is so short. I want to, like, experience it all, you know? And in the city, we pass each other and we lose each other and we get consumed. And then you see something like this, a love like this and a life like this, and you see two people who've met each other at a moment in their lives when the city forgot them or they got lost in the city. And, yeah, that's amazing. I guess that's what we're experiencing now, kind of.
1: Yeah, I mean... Maybe. We're in one of the poorest boroughs in England, and when you walk home, you'll most likely walk past some people that populate a film like Les Amants du Pont Neuf, and putting together the... Fragile, open-hearted desire where you like to live and this compulsion to live life fully because you say it feels like it's passing so quickly. Does acting and singing give you that or is it sustainable just in day-to-day life?
0: Acting and singing definitely does give me that. (laughs) And I am incredibly lucky, to be given a chance to do that and to explore all those things that... I don't know if it would be sustainable to live like that continuously in life.
1: Because you can, like your last film with Charlie Kaufman, you can be crying while you're looking at David Thewlis in a take and then that's sealed and you can leave it behind, can't you? And there can be more... Yeah. Calm and balance.
0: I guess I I don't ever feel like I leave something behind. I feel like they're there, you know. All the women that I've played, all the worlds that I've stepped in have been something that have really tattooed themselves on me, you Mm. know. And it's just a progression to the next place. For me, I don't believe there's anything finite Mm. in an experience. I think it's just a journey that Mm. takes you to where you might want to go next.
1: Do you have a particularly... Potent tattoo. (laughs) I'm staying with your analogy. I'm not being real.
0: Well, I guess you've different kinds of potent tattoos at different points in your life. I'm 30, and the thing I just finished in Greece was about motherhood Mm. and womanhood, and I guess that's something that has been circling Mm. me, Mm. you know in work and wild rose and yeah it's a full complex beautiful relationship and i and i don't mean just my mother but i mean the legacy of Mm -hmm. motherhood you know the like women that we've come from and what their freedom was or wasn't that's probably the tattoo that's somewhere that maybe in what i look for is to rebel against what that might have been (laughs) Mm. and to find a new frame for me to step into as a woman at this point in my life Mm. and be curious. Mm. I listened to this podcast about curiosity the other day and on what you just said about, you know, when we're babies, we need curiosity to survive. We rely on it. And then at a certain point as adults, we kind of freeze where that is and but yet it's still there, but we've created alternate worlds where we can play out or practice our curiosity, unless you're somebody like Faust, who's had such an insatiable curiosity that he ended up having dinner with the devil and that was it. And I've been asking myself, like, how can you actually risk being curious? Where is the spaces that we don't know about ourselves yet, that we have to take a risk to be curious about? And what is the consequence of those curiosities if you don't, or if you do?
1: Well, I can tell you from my perspective the most exciting actors, writers, singers, whoever I work with. But, you know, let's add nurses, teachers, whoever, are curious. And if you shut down curiosity, you are closing down so many parts of the self. Yeah. And your analogy about the curious child, I really think you can remain curious... And I think it's a teachable skill. Yeah. And it's just sometimes a matter of emboldening somebody to be curious. Yeah. And I was struck by you saying the risk of curiosity. What might that be? Because I would see there'd be very little risk unless, you know, you followed someone like Les Amants du (laughs) Neuf down a corridor (laughs) in in an alleyway in Hackney and ended up too curious. But surely curiosity just keeps opening us up. And curiosity of ourselves must be... Mm. Uh, So character creating.
0: I guess what we were like talking about, can you be sustainable to live? The worlds that you inhabit in our work and in our art, is it that curiosity and the levels with which you go to where you go, yeah, I'll jump on a jet ski, yeah, I'll, you know, break my leg, yeah, or whatever. Where does that exist? That is a fake life. It's still life, but it's a fake life, whereas in real life... And I agree with you, like... Why not go down the alleyway? <laughs> you know, And I do think yourself will tell you if you're ready to go down the alleyway or not. But, yeah, I don't know is the answer.
1: I mean, I wonder whether... I'm being presumptuous here. If you're an empath, if you're empathetic like you are, the key thing is to practice the boundary. You can remain curious, yeah. engaged, but you have to have a boundary just to look after yourself. Otherwise yeah, yeah. you can get swamped or flooded. And that boundary will enable you to discern, no, I don't go down that alleyway. Or I do. Yeah. And I engage with that person. And Les Amants du Pont Neuf is full of that kind of um, hungry, curious risking.
0: Yeah. And they have a great time. (laughs) 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 I want to be at that party. Yeah, yeah. It looks great fun.
1: (laughs) And does motherhood feel like a risk then? Talking of risk.
0: Uh, no. No, and yes, but I do recognise that it's massive. Yeah. It's beautiful, but it's massive. And there's no other relationship in your life which will hold you or be a responsibility like motherhood is. I love my mother, and she is... She's an artist and she's curious and she's having a rebirth now at 56 and it's glorious, but it's also, it's hard, you know, as well because I guess there are certain structures still in place where if you choose certain things, you're not, there's not as much permission, (laughs) I guess, to find something other of yourself. But I'm not afraid of it. I think it's incredible, I mean, it's incredible in itself that you make a human, (laughs) you know. Lots of my friends are having babies now and it's like extraordinary.
1: What I didn't know was the mother of Helen of Troy is Leda. Yeah. And the last offering that you're sharing today is Yeats's poem, Leda and the Swan, which is... Camille Paglia, the writer, said it's the greatest poem of the 20th century. Why did it bubble up as a choice for you?
0: Well, it came up in the thing that I just finished, and I'd never heard it or read it. Lots of people say that it's a poem about rape and about Zeus. Um, Zeus fancies Leda, basically, and decides that he's going to transform himself into a wounded swan to woo her. And he does, and then he rapes her. Or that's people's interpretation of what the poem is. And when I was filming this last thing called The Lost Daughter, it was the woman's name in in the book is Leda. And the director, like, this is one of her favourite poems and she kind of sold it into the script. But it was funny, when I started to look at the poem and then I typed the poem in and these images and these paintings of this poem came up and my perception of what I thought the poem was, which was about this god, Zeus. And it starts with such a shock, you know. The first line is a sudden blow, the great wings beating still above the staggering girl. It's an explosion or an aggressive beginning, you know. you, you It feels like somebody's just slapped you. But when I looked at these images, that these paintings, which I think, like... Michelangelo and some other people had, <laughs> probably <be> famous people, <laughs> some other people <laughs> no, had painted. What turned my whole vision of what this poem was is actually, it felt like something shared. It wasn't this rape. Leda in the paintings is strong. She's got incredibly strong thighs and This swan is having sex with Leda, but she almost looks like she's kissing him. And in the last two lines of the poem, which is like my favourite, it's um, the last four lines, being so caught up, being so mastered by the brute blood of the air. And these are my favourite. Did she put on his knowledge with his power before the indifferent beak could let her drop? And in that moment, it feels like she bore Helen of Troy from this shocking moment and bore something so powerful. She actually stole something from him to create something which was going to change the course of history and yeah, I found it really empowering. And every single morning I would get up at 6 o'clock in Greece and we were on this island because we had to—we were fighting the virus so we were on this place where there was no cases. And I would get up every morning at 6am and it was dark and I'd go out and I'd jump into the sea and it would be pitch black and I would say this poem every single morning before going to work. And I love it.
1: <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Oh, (laughs) can you remember it or do you want to read it? uh,
0: I'll take it in case. Um, A sudden blow, the great wings beating still above the staggering girl. Her thighs caressed by the dark webs, her nape caught in his bill. He holds her helpless breast upon his breast. How can those terrified, vague fingers push the feathered glory from her loosening thighs? And how can body, laid in that white rush, but feel the strange heart beating where it lies? A shudder in the loins engenders there, the broken wall, the burning roof and tower, and Agamemnon dead, being so caught up, so mastered by the brute blood of the air. Did she put on his knowledge with his power before the indifferent beak could let her drop?
1: They're the only words spoken on a London stage today. <laughs> you doing Yeats, your fellow countrymen. Yeah. And I feel like through this, the stakes are rising. You've got the choral connective singing the lovers in the film, and then this sort of violent fusion between Leda and Zeus. But in right in the centre of the poem, Yeats, who has utter sympathy for Leda, talks about this strange heart beating mm. she feels. So as a man, it's a complicated poem to talk about because I guess I'm wary of trigger warnings and a post-Me Too thing about poems like this maybe not being taught, etc., but hearing you talk about it, and you're absolutely attuned to the encounter that's occurring, but you see it in such a rich way. And I thought I should reach over to a fellow countryman of yours, Frank McGuinness, because I remember he loved this poem. And I said, tell me about why you love it. And he said, it's the whole of Greek tragedy mm-hmm. in a sonnet. It's a masterpiece of compression. And... Um, That thing of a cycle will now happen Mm -hmm. and Agamemnon dead. Mm -hmm. And hearing you say it, I think you'd said we all meet different wolves within ourselves. There's something very animal, obviously, about the poem. And I think it's in the Irish blood to have that musicality, creativity and wildness. You've alighted upon this poem because somehow it's a, a world for you to occupy where... You're now fusing with something mythic, an Mm. animal. It's really bold.
0: Yeah, God, I really wish we had a faith for the myths. (laughs) Like, they're so primal and bold. And it's all the parts of humanity that we've, I think, pushed down and down and down, but they're still there and they're still vibrating. You know, we all can be accountable for, like, drawing up that, blood or that animal or how we want to also change our own course of history not because of something that's happened to us but how do we birth our own helens of Troyes, you
1: know Mm. yeah because you began with the georgians saying i wish these men were in charge or some of those men were in the culture Mm. and you've just been to greece you know the land of the mythic heroes and you can feel some access to that, can't you, in that oh strange collection of islands and
0: landmass.
1: But your land as well, island. Yeah. You know, yeah, you've yeah. got your own mythological, very rich past.
0: Yeah, and it makes absolute sense to me, you know. It comes from nature, it comes from the land. Maybe that's why I'm wanting to venture back to nature is things grow because they want to grow in nature. Nothing's forced and Growing up, it was so, you know, amazing to not even be aware of it, but it just be part of our life. And luckily, both of my parents, you know, nature was the same as art was for them. Like, it was something that was nurtured, but also whatever way it wanted to express itself, whatever we did. And there's five of us in, in my family. That was a beautiful thing, and to go for it and even if it only lasted a year that was good enough
1: yeah was that alright that tea burn um, I mean it's I part of okay. life isn't it? Yeah. tea burn the tea urn went yeah. oh, uh, <laughs> but it was nice it was a good undercurrent <laughs> you
0: can hear well. they're going to think she's rising from the ashes the
1: she goddess did. of tea
0: the goddess of tea, That's the most Irish goddess that could have ever existed. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. goddess of Barry's tea. Yeah. She rolls from the tea bag. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How do you feel marinating in those three brilliant choices? How does it feel talking about them?
0: It feels. Lovely. I guess you don't really... You know, when I was walking here this morning, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> like, it does feel a bit lonely or sad being in this empty theatre, you know? And them being part of this empty space where, mm. you know, these things belong in these places. And, mm. um, but maybe they're there somewhere.
1: Well, I feel you've enriched... The empty space with them because your commitment to that Georgian feast, Christmas song, and the way you feel into Les Amants du Pont Neuf, and the way you read that poem, it just feels like the air's thick with all the things you love, which are so fortifying and tenderizing and actually, to me, uplifting. So thank you so much
0: Oh, thank you Can we do it again?
1: (laughs) Have you got three more? (laughs) What I Love was created and hosted by me, Ian Rickson The theme music is by PJ Harvey This episode was recorded at the Hackney Empire and was produced by Sarah Murray for Storyglass And during our conversation, Jesse and I discussed... The Georgian Carol "Sis Lilo, by Vaktan Kakidze, performed by Ensemble Bassiani, taken from the YouTube channel Cello Prat. The film "Les Amants du Pont Neuf," directed by Léos Carax, produced by Films A2, Gaumont International, and Le Film Christiane Fechner, and the poem "Later in the Swan" by W. B. Yeats. Thank you for joining us for this series of What I Love, and see you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners
0: deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.